You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your geologist, Trisha Huffman. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. I love to talk to people about their journey to see what that got them to where they are today, the steps they took, the missteps, perhaps. I don't really think anything's a misstep, but the doubts, the fears, how they made it to where they are and to expose and remind us all that our joy, our worth, our enough, our value, all of that stuff isn't out there somewhere. You can have it all and still not feel those things. So the reminder to look behind the curtain of these people that are doing awesome and that we all have struggles and have had struggles along the way. And that you can claim your joy, your worth, your value, your enoughness right here, right now, today, and allow that to help you and inspire you to move forward with your visions and also just enjoy your freaking life in the now. (laughs) On today's episode, we have Megan Telpner. She is a Toronto-based author, speaker, nutritionist, and the founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. I love Megan. I love her personality. She's just fun. She's like sparkly. And she does things her way, which I, of course, love. And I loved getting into the nuggets of her journey and hearing more about that. So let's get into the episode. Hi, Megan. Hi, Trisha. So I don't, I know I can know somewhat of your story, but not fully. I think that you, like me, found sort of nutrition and wellness and that whole world because you were suffering from some sort of pain disorder issues. All of the above. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know of a lot. I mean, maybe there are now. I don't know of a lot of people who grow up thinking like, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a nutritionist. Yeah. Did you grow up feeling like that? No, of course not. I didn't decide that this was what I wanted to do till I got really, really, really sick and wasn't being given any answers by the quote unquote experts out there. So my story was that and it is very similar to yours and we're the same age. It's on a very similar timeline that in my mid 20s, I was getting sicker and sicker and no one could tell me what was wrong. And it was like this succession of three years tons of doctors until in the summer of 2006 when I was 26. Yeah, 26, almost 27. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune inflammatory bowel disease that basically ensures you have no social life, that you can't make any plans, that you can barely hold a job. Um, And it was to the point for me where I couldn't go to work anymore because I couldn't get on public transit because you have unpredictable explosive evacuations will be the nice yeah that's i was like i don't know much but i at one point there was someone on tour with me who had crohn's disease and yeah it can be debilitating and so when at the finally by the time i was diagnosed and they're like there's nothing you can do about it um that wasn't a strong enough solution that was what they said okay we finally have your answer. You have this and there's nothing we can do about it. They say, and to this day now, that's 13 years ago. So 13 years later, 13 years worth of research and nutritional information, they're still telling people 
There's no known cause, no known cure, and the diets we choose will have no effect on the prognosis of the disease. Wow, they're still saying that. They do. And I kind of get it because yeah. from a medical perspective, they're looking for a single solution that has that double blind placebo study to support that it will work for the majority or that it right. works beyond the placebo. But the challenge is that when we look at, as I know you often do, that holistic perspective of, you know, mind, body, emotional, spiritual connection, getting rid of gluten isn't going to cure your disease. Yeah. And that's what I was like for me, because I even I'm like with other people with fibromyalgia, I was like, I definitely recommend trying going off gluten and like actually commit to it. Like you need to do 10 days. And I've heard people be like, yeah, you know, like I just I only eat it. Like I did that. And I'll just have like I only eat like, you know, like a little bit every day. And I'm like, no, 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 no. So that's like the challenge. Totally. Like, but also that I can't say that's going to work for everybody. Right. Well, exactly. But diet is part of the solution for everybody, along with cleaning up lifestyle habits and thought patterns and relationship patterns and and all of it. So I get where conventional medical approaches come from when they say that there is no known cause. It's that, well, there are lots of contributing factors that will build the perfect storm for disease to develop in the body. And just in the same vein, there's a whole variety of contributing factors that will build health in the body. And so my experience in them saying there's nothing you can do is like, I don't want to be in and out of hospitals my whole life. I don't want to not be able to make plans for my life. And so by taking what I felt was my last resort and learning about food and nutrition and learning how to cook, and it was sort of this sequential, you know, I opened up to like whatever could help me I would do. And so it was sort of this three-month period that I dedicated to getting well and was open to any suggestions that's what like how did that even so you and what were you you're 26 so like you had gone to college were you working in a like career path that you enjoyed was it something you wanted to do were you just like okay get go to college get a job I went to university and I got a degree a four-year arts and design degree in fashion marketing oh and got a job in advertising uh did not like it. And I used to say to my parents, I'm like, oh, this like full-time job thing's really killing my day. Like, I, <laughs> like, like the ultimate in obnoxiousness. Um, but it was just, I just felt like I'm not enjoying this. It's very stressful. It's a very challenging environment to be working in. And being a young woman in that environment is is verging on gross, some might say. Like it's just yucky and stressful. And um so that so in being in that environment contributed to the challenges after university, before I even started working, I'd gone backpacking through Africa by myself. And so uh, the vaccinations needed in preparation for that trip and then the stress of traveling in a very uh, in a very different environment, um, and bacterial exposure and all the stuff that comes with going to a foreign country where your microbiome, your body isn't accustomed to it, uh, that was when I developed the more serious symptoms that then took three years to be diagnosed. And that was when I was too sick to go to work. Um, I'd found a doctor of Chinese medicine actually based in Santa Monica who said he could help me. And so at that point, anyone who remotely gave me any glimmer of hope that I could reclaim my life and my health um, 
I was all in. And where were you living at the time? I lived in Toronto. So I you lived in Toronto and you found a doctor in California. Yeah. My said- dad had seen him a few years prior. His name is Dr. Ha. My dad had seen him a few years prior for rheumatoid arthritis. And so at my parents' urging, I went down for a couple of weeks thinking, yeah, I'll go down and he'll cure me and I can carry on with my life. Um, and that wasn't quite the case. I ended up going for three months and sort of it was really miraculous that everything came together that that was able to happen. Um, but also, I think because I was so removed from my life in this completely new town, I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a car. So I was living in L.A. without a car. And, and you were just was- like there to like heal. It's not like yes. you like had work and then you're like, my job here is to feel better and do. Yeah, I was doing says. like some freelance design just to have okay. some money. Um, but yeah, my job was to go to acupuncture and I was like, I have a lot of time on my hands. So I started walking instead of running and I started going to yoga and through yoga, I was introduced to a meditation teacher. So I went to this meditation training class thing and went to the farmer's markets, had a lot of time on my hands to learn how to cook. And the result this was of- before or after you got diagnosed. This was just after I was diagnosed. Okay. So you finally got diagnosed, but then they were like, we don't have any answers nothing. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm going to try acupuncture. And it's like, well, there's no proof that that helps. I'm like, okay, but there's no proof that this approach is going to help me for the rest of my life either. There's actually proof that it's not going to resolve this for the rest of my life. And so the way I saw it is that in trying to heal, I would take it as like an insurance policy. Like if it didn't work, at least if I had to go into surgery and go along that route, I was coming into it from a stronger a physically stronger place than if I wasn't trying anything. Because that's what you yeah, have with Crohn's disease. Is that what some people have to have? Certain, they have like part of their intestines yeah, it's removed like, it's or intestinal something? resectioning. So they'll re- surgically remove the parts of the intestines that are most effective, affected and then basically resection it for a period of time. You have what's called an ostomy bag where there's like a pouch outside your body that will collect poo. So for me... <laughs> So that sounded like an exciting choice. Right. And I had like this at the time, this very, very cute British boyfriend that I wanted to travel to England (laughs) to visit. And I'm like, I I just and it's and it's it's uh, breaks my heart that so many people end up on that path and and that that they're not given when they come in with early signs and symptoms that they're not given options. And and there comes a point where people are put in a position where that is the only option. They're in an emergency life-saving circumstance. And there is a time and place for all emergency medicine. But it breaks my heart that that there is not other options or solutions or saying, you know what, these are the tools in my toolbox. The toolbox of the world is much, much bigger and there's way more options in it than what I have and what I can offer. So let's bring all the best tools together and figure out the right solution for this human that's sitting before me. Yeah. Because there's never one solution for every person on the planet. I know. That's, I mean, yeah, like you were saying with modern medicine, it's like, yeah, like, sure, they are there to, like, give you a diet, like, check these things. Like, there's, like, lists. You check off all the boxes. And then here is your answer. And it's either, like, a piece of paper with a prescription or, you know, now you need this scan or that that yeah but like why can't they just be like you know okay so this is your diagnosis there's really nothing you can do but here's a bunch of things that could help try changing your diet try doing this because yeah you're right so many people will be like oh i finally diagnosed this but if they're eating shitty and they have never like exercised their life take care of themselves 
then they were just going to go home right. and keep doing right. the same stuff. And there's stuff still the and option. feel hopeless. No, for, and yeah, be, yeah they probably feel worse. for some people, the medications are the right thing to do. But they don't have to be the only thing that are done. Yeah. And so my feeling was at the time I was, my symptoms had calmed down. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and fix this. And then if, you know, I was told come back in three months. So I was like, let me see what happens. This come back in three months unless it gets worse. So I'm like, let me see what I can do in three months. And for me, my experience and, and everyone's will be different and healing is not the same. Healing does not mean you're 100% symptom free for every person who tries it. It means that you're moving in the right direction. My experience was that after a month, I was symptom free. And after three months, I felt better than of I acupuncture? could ever. Pardon me? Of acupuncture? It was three months of acupuncture, of eating from scratch in my own kitchen, of meditating, of doing yoga, of going for walks, of resting, of aiming to surround myself with only positive messaging. So like the TV got turned off and never turned back. Like I went to the extremes because I it was my fear that drove the decisions I was making that I was so afraid of getting sicker. And having this for life that I was willing to make those extreme changes. And what's what's so interesting to me is that, as I was saying, like I got after three months, I I felt so good that I didn't I like a lot of people go on these do these changes and they think, okay, well, I've gotten better. Now I can sort of go back to what I was doing. Right. And I felt so much better. I was like, I don't want to go back to that lifestyle. Like the TV never got turned back on. It still hasn't. It's 13 years ago. Um, I still don't read the news because if I need to know something, I will find out. Like you hear the things you need to hear, but you don't need to be surrounded by horrible, horrible stories all day. That just creates fear and stress and hate and like separation. Yeah. And and. I kept cooking and I learned to cook. And so after that whole process, that was when I was like, I just did what I was told was impossible by the people who were supposed to be the best in this field, who are supposed to know what I'm suffering from the most. And I did what I was told was impossible. So that was really what motivated me to go to nutrition school and figure out what it was exactly that I had done. And now looking back and having worked in this field for so long, I now know scientifically what meditation does to the biochemistry in your body and what, you know, being able to shift into that rest and digest or heal and repair mode and what whole foods that are free of chemicals can do for your body and what finding joy in the work you do and in your relationships and all of that. Like, I didn't know at the time. I was just sort of following my instinct and being open to what I thought could be part of the solution. And not everything's stuck and not everything's stuck to the extremes that it did, but it was that process of of finding the solution and then finding the balance that was sustainable. And I'm guessing like you're growing up were your parents like more open like the fact that your dad was the one that referred you to the acupuncturist in Santa Monica when you guys lived in Canada that that makes me think that did you like what were your parents like growing up or were you eating homemade like meals? Like I grew up eating like I didn't know you could cook vegetables. Oh, no, we weren't like <laughs> boiling water. Like I went to college and my friend had an electric steamer and I was like, what is this thing? I've only eaten like frozen and canned vegetables. And I'm sure my mom was like, probably like, Trisha, we did eat vegetables. But that's what I remember because she was right. working and like, here's yeah. frozen this, that, whatever. Like, but I was like, 
And then, like, seriously, uh, 10 years later, I was living with a guy I was dating and he put a pot of water on the stove with a steamer basket, steamed vegetables. And I literally never realized you didn't need an electric steamer. That's funny. <laughs> well, I grew up, my, my, my mom made the intentional decision to be home with us when we came home from school. And so she made our meals and they weren't necessarily, they aren't what I make now, but they were definitely not canned and frozen foods. Only she was I think making because homemade my mom is meals, like, but she was but making they homemade meals. Heavier. Like, my mom has a very sensitive gag reflex. I'm like, if she opened up a canned noodled thing or she'd be like, eh, this is so gross. I so it was it was home cooking. It wasn't the healthiest home cooking, but it you know, no yeah. matter what you're making, if you're making it in your own home with ingredients you bought at the supermarket, it's going to be better than anything you can buy in a package. Yeah. So but but more so the influence was that my mom, my mom was 24 when her mom passed away. So my grandmother was 48 oh, when she passed away of wow. cancer. And my mom's younger brother was 30 when he passed away from cancer. Oh man. So my mom had a strong um, lack of confidence and skepticism in the medical field. And she Ooh, always, okay. she always says doctors bury their mistakes. So I think that was where the confidence came from to try this, that I had the support of my primary support network. I'm very close with my family. I'm grateful that I have that relationship with my parents still. And so because I had their encouragement to do this, which was not necessarily something I wanted to opt for, I was able to brave whatever the outcome was. I wasn't going to have my parents being like, I wasted your time doing this. We told you it was going to be terrible. They're like, you have to try this because no one else you've seen has given you any other options. That's great. Yeah, I remember that made me think of, so I did, I grew up, I, gr I actually like grew up with lots of pains and, and things and went to specialists like my entire life. And from the ages of 15 to 18, went to a chiropractor three times a week. Which so that was like a big thing that my mom uh, must. And that was like, I mean, that was like 95, 1995. So like back then that like my mom, I don't know if it was one of the doctors that decided to like take me to a chiropractor because I was like having, I amongst other things, headaches and migraines and something like that. So I, um, so that was like something that she took me there, but still was not there. She was a nurse. Oh, she isn't. Oh, she's not anymore. She was like a nurse for 50 years. So she's very much modern. Not, am I using the right term? Modern medicine. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, um, medicine. But um, so I remember and then I tried to go like I moved away from home and went to college and try, went to a chiropractor there for a little bit, then moved to San Diego to start touring and pet problems would come up again and like go to a chiropractor. And I found this chiropractor in San Diego that to me was like a medicine man where he went in and was doing like muscle testing. Did yes. you have you ever had muscle testing? Yes. What's well, like and it does seem like what this is like, I don't know, is this real or fake where it's like, OK, hold up your leg. And then he presses like a pressure point and then like tries to push it down, you know, it wouldn't, and then, be, like, my, it wouldn't be my first choice. And then, then it's like, yeah, goes down. And then, you know, like, here, let me do this adjustment and then do it again. And it's like totally different. So it seems like, wait, is this real or not? Do you just pull a magic trick? <laughs> right. So that was like, and I remember telling my mom about that, like, oh my God, I found this chiropractor out here. And, and because of that, then he'd be like, oh, you have a parasite in your body. That was also when I was touring a lot. You have a parasite in your body. Here's these herbs to take. 
And like, right. here's this. So he started introducing me to like herbs and like supplements from and like, hey, what did do your mom this. think about all of this? That's what I'm saying. She so from. she was like, they were like, I don't what? I yeah. don't know, Trisha. So she was actually I was interesting that I'm like realizing she's the one who introduced me to a chiropractor back when I was 15, which I don't know. But who she just didn't want to advice. go that far. But then when I started telling her about because I was like, whoa, this guy like did this thing called muscle testing. Then they were both like, I don't. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess. But that. I was the also like, testing yeah. thing. People swear by it. It wouldn't be. I mean, my husband is a scientist. He's a functional medicine practitioner. So he comes from it from a holistic perspective. But he's just like, oh, I don't he. So he pl- like, I'm just like, yes, anything. He doesn't works. believe like, in the in. like muscle testing. No, he does blood testing. Yeah. <laughs> right. But well, that's I mean, and, that's, and also, sorry, it, it's interesting what comes up. And we have in, in my school, like, Tons of nurses that come to our program because they're on the front lines with patients and seeing the issues with the foods being served and the practices that are going on in the hospital around nutrition or the lack of it. So it's interesting to see where that profession is shifting now. It's almost like they're, they're saving they're saving the people. That's great. Because, yeah, I mean, that's what like my mom was a nurse, but she wasn't like food is medicine. Like, no, like that's what like these people that are supposed to be helping people heal like don't have any knowledge history background and like hmm what about lifestyle and <laughs> and food choices yeah. anyway so yeah i was just like that guessing that your parents must have had some sort of different holistic look at life if they were the ones that introduced you to the acupuncturist yeah and it was similar though to to what you're saying is that they introduced me to to that but I don't think they realized that I was then going to go clean out their fridge eventually and not allow them to eat anything <laughs> and like do all these things that have then transpired since then. They're like, well, we thought it was just, you know, going to be a short little treatment situation. They're like, you're better now. So can like you just stop? <laughs> like, yeah, there was one dinner. There was one dinner and like my father was sort of the last to hop on board. But he, there was one night I was bringing dinner and he's like I I feel like you're feeding me this quinoa with contempt I'm like yeah I'm making this for you because I hate you like it was just this like resistance to like one more thing like no more ketchup no more like Heinz ketchup in the fridge no more like all these things that had just been staples that you don't really think about because they're in everyone's fridge that I'm saying like well do you know what's in that yeah so what happened? So then you enrolled in nutrition. Did you end up staying in California or you went back to Canada after those three months? I came back to Toronto. I had tried to find another program that was not in Toronto. I had some like, I had some fear around coming back to the mm. place where I'd gotten sick. I was like, I like, you know, you're in California. It's sunny most of the time. Like yeah. the climate is is hard to beat. I I appreciated finding like-minded people that I had found a community that I felt could support my health intentions. So I had this fear, but at the end of the day, I wanted the best education I could get. And at the time, the best school I could find was actually in Toronto for what I wanted to learn. And so I came back and... Was that like at a, a university or a separate nutritional program? No, it was a physical private college that had a location in oh, Toronto. Okay. So um, I enrolled. I started in January 2017 and loved it. Uh, met amazing people, including the gentleman who became my husband. And uh, and then after that, and it was great. But after that, I was like, OK, but 
no one no one's learned how to cook yet. Like we all learned all this stuff about health and the body and nutrients and but we no one was in the kitchen. Like it wasn't cooking and that was really what was the part I enjoyed. Like I came from a creative arts design background. So for me using food and creating things that had texture and flavor and smell and were beautiful and and learning how to do that was the part I loved most about what I was learning and about health and nutrition. And the food was what had been such a big part of my own healing. And so that was where after studying nutrition, I said, okay, well now, now what do I do with this? And that was when I started teaching cooking classes. I knew how to make six things. I'm like, I'm going to teach other people how to make these six things. And then I learned a few more. And where did you start teaching them? In my apartment. It was a, it's, I'm still here. It's the same place. I don't live here anymore. Um, it's a 600 square foot loft. I don't know what that is in cubic feet, but it's small. Uh, it's you pr- probably the size of a standard like bachelor or studio apartment. And I had people come. I had this six person vintage drafting table, which was the kitchen table. And people came here and I would teach like a little cooking class and we'd eat together. And it was sort of a way for me to both um, teach this way of cooking, but also build a community. And ultimately, I was trying to find some friends who wanted to eat like I did. And that was how I first started. I I was like, what what was the cooking like? Because it was a cooking class, but I'm guessing it's like health. Like, how did you like pitch the class? It's not just like cooking. Is it like cooking to heal your body or like what was? It was just Whole Foods cooking classes. So not the store, but the the concept of unprocessed foods. We were just learning to cook basic meals from scratch. And where and did was- you put, did you like advertise it or like how did you make that? Like, I feel like to me, online stuff feels so much easier than in person. And so like, what gave you the confidence and like, how did you just make it happen? Was it more just like, well, whatever, I'm going to put it out there. If one person comes, it's cool. Or like, you know, did you have like fears around that? Or was it just like, well, I'm just, this is for fun. We'll see what happens. I didn't have any fears around it because it didn't occur to me that it might not work. I just thought it was such a brilliant idea. No one was doing it that it has to be successful. So what I did to start was I sent an email out to the 300 people in my personal Gmail account that I'd sort of acquired since email had been invented and or since I'd gotten into it at least in 1998 or whatever and sent out a mass email um, just saying, I'm teaching these classes. Space is limited. You better sign up. And it was, and I sent it. I remember thinking, oh my God, this is going to be so exciting. And it was crickets, like (laughs) nothing. So... I still didn't occur to me that this might not work. And so I sent a second email like a week later being like, the first class sold out. You better hurry. No, I just did it sell out. It didn't even run. It didn't even happen. Oh, got it. So little white lie. So then the second time I did it, I filled it and I filled it with like two of my best friends, my ex-boyfriend's sister-in-law, the two (laughs) girls that work downstairs. There's a photography studio downstairs. But it filled. And and then I sort of had to pretend like I'd already done this before, but I hadn't actually taught a class. And it was still like it saved me having to create six new recipes because I still only had six of my own original recipes. But it was so much fun. And I had someone I'd invited um, for like to come and enjoy for free in exchange. She took some photos. So then I had some professional photos of this bustling cooking class. 
And then I just kept scheduling classes and trying to fill them. And it was in the earlier days of Facebook. It was 2008. And I would like, you know, when you're reconnecting with people you went to high school with and and I would just sort of pay attention to who was super active on Facebook and who was socially like going out and had lots of friends and doing stuff. And so I invited, you know, some of the popular girls from high school who I knew would like talk about it. And my objective was to get two or three people who were paying for it. They could cover the cost of the class and then just other people who either had a blog or were kind of out there and would help network and share it. And then I also went around on a bicycle. My bike's still decorated, but at the time I had these um, little plastic envelopes I'd sewn together with flyers in them of my scheduled classes. And I would just go and like park it when I went to yoga or when I went grocery shopping or when I was out and like. Oh, and it had the flyers in it. Yes. The people would walk by your bike and be like, oh, look at that bike. Oh, what's this? Yes. And and I just and I pin them in every health food store. I just I like old school guerrilla marketing. Like I put my cards everywhere and slowly they started to um, it started to gain attention. I started a blog. So I was writing and online and I was integrating both of those things. And with really the goal of trying to get people to show up here in person and have that experience. And then so you also at this time had graduated from the nutritionalist program? Yeah, yeah. I did the program full year from January to December 2017 and then started this around May 2008. So once I was done, I actually did a three-month internship at a resort in St. Lucia, thinking that that was what I did. As a nutritionalist? Yes. Wow. Yeah, thinking this is what I want to do. But then I had people coming to... um, was that like people on vacation that were like wanting to or did you work with like the chef or like it was all of it. So it's a health resort. Um, oh. It was a health resort. And we. So people would come and be like, I want this or that, you know, like I or whatever you're trying to. Yeah, it was a health resort. So part of my service there was them uh, getting a one hour consult with me complimentary and not a lot of people on vacation really want to meet with a nutritionist but I was having people come like I had someone come with a cocktail and a cigarette for their consult because I realized I was in this room with no windows I'm like I'm gonna start meeting clients down by the beach like what like who's gonna tell me not to so I did that and then people were like stopping at the bar before our consult mid-afternoon and ultimately it was so so fun um this resort it's called uh the body holiday at La Sport in St. Lucia. It's where Amy Winehouse spent a lot of time. Oh, wow. If anyone saw the documentary, there's footage of her there. I got to, I did meet her um, when I was there. But anyway, so it was just this place where people would come to, to get healthy, supposedly. But it was also... Uh, <laughs> but there was alcohol. It was also served, a resort. So it was, it was also yeah. an all-inclusive resort. And it's amazing. It's an amazing place. But ultimately, I was like, that's this- pretty epic that you got to cry your hand. Like, yeah, like to get introduced to like, what is it like being a nutritionist? Yeah. And that was like a f- odd place, but kind of amazing. It was, an inc- it was what I thought was my dream job. And it was an incredible experience. But when it came down to it, I also wanted to have an impact with the work I was doing and realize that right. that wasn't going to be the where it. And it's interesting because right. there's still some people who follow my work who I met there who came to like my very first awkward talks and like. The stuff. Oh, I and love that. the resort was amazing because they kind of let me do what I wanted um, and try stuff out because they'd never had a nutritionist in residence. So it was it was amazing. I learned a lot in a short span of time, but ultimately realized that that wasn't where 
you're, there's a reason why you're at these types of places for a week or two weeks max, yeah. like not three months. It's like, I, I can't eat at another buffet, even though the food is delicious. But, um, but, but so if they'd never had a nutritionist on residence, how did you get an internship? Did you create it? So, well, well, we have to go back a little bit. One okay. of my first <laughs> jobs, one of my very first jobs after university was at a travel company that did those like package vacations. And my job was writing the description for these resorts. So I remembered, I wrote the description for this place being like, and I knew because when you're going through like all the all-inclusive, they all have the standard stuff. But this one had like a, mas- a, a spa treatment every day included. There was all these fitness classes. I'm like, this is like a dream vacation. And for my 25th birthday, my mom and I went for a week and I was like, this is what we're going to do. And I went. And while we were there, I thought I need to find a place, a way to work at a place like this. That's also where I met that British guy who became my boyfriend. There was there was like a lot of like weird integrated things. But um, so after that week, that place just kind of stuck in my head. And so when I was in nutrition school two years later and learned we had to do this internship, I'm like, huh, maybe I could actually go work at a place like that. And so I emailed them like cold out of the blue, told them my story, told them the impact that that one week visit had had. um, And they welcomed me to come. And that was how I ended up there. Did they pay you as an internship or was it like you were just able to stay there for free? I was able to stay and eat for free. So it was unpaid. Um, But that I I paid my own way down. Yeah, it it was. So, it, no, I'm glad I asked about that because it's like you created your own amazing internship there. Yeah. It's like you don't know if you don't ask. Yeah, Josh and I actually, and then it was so funny a couple years later, well, not a couple, almost 10 years later, we were at, I had a booth at a trade show, at a yoga show, and that resort had a booth across the, the aisle from me and the owner was in Toronto for it. And I'm like, hey. And he's like, hey, I'm like, I should come back for a visit. He's like, you should. And so Josh and I ended up going down for a vacation. Um, And it was sort of like a bit of a full circle thing that I was there, you know, dreaming of working here and then got to go down working in the field with my husband. And it's a great place to go on vacation. But that's so funny. Anyway, where I created my own internship, too. And when I wanted I wanted to be a sound engineer and I worked at the House of Blues gift shop and I wanted to do sound, but I only knew retail. So when I went to Chicago and I needed a job, I specifically went there because I had retail experience feeling like that will. And I was like, I think I want to do what you guys do. And I started to get to know the production people. And I was like, I'm pretty sure what you guys do as the sound engineers is like what I want to do, but I don't even know what that is. And they were like, just come hang out. And I did. And I never went away for three months. (laughs) And they eventually started paying me and I realized my college actually had sound programs and I got to skip a bunch of classes because of the free internship. And I eventually actually got credit for it as an internship. And like, yeah, we're both examples that you want to do something like ask, put yourself out there. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I and I followed that ever since, like with everything that that I've done and created. And I think you have, too. It's like asking for things without having to make any kind of excuse for asking except that you it's something you feel driven or or inspired to do or create or yeah your say and it's so funny I realize now that the so I'm like it's still can be like oh I don't know this is gonna be such a hard email to write or whatever but most of the time as soon as I hit send I forgot that I've even sent it 
And so when I hear back, I'm like, amazing. And then I'm like, oh, right. I sent an email to that person. I never heard back. I never heard back. But it never feels like, a, like, oh, no, what does that mean? It's like, you know, I don't know. It's just like, oh, I'm just putting these little seeds out into the air. And yeah. sometimes they get planted. <laughs> I remember the early days when I felt like I was just like constantly like sending and asking, crying and and getting a lot of silence and a lot of rejections. But those like few like yeses or like yes, like that was worth it. And and you asked about my classes. So one of the things I had done was after teaching my classes for a summer in a non-air conditioned 600 square foot apartment, I'd heard that the national paper here in Canada, the National Post was looking for content for their new blog. And so I just emailed them saying, I'll provide food content. And so I, they said, okay. And so suddenly what I was writing was syndicated with the national paper. And that then grew the, the platform dramatically. And was that free you're contributing or did you get paid? That was also free. I also got fired. Saying, like, again, and I'm like, people I got, feel like. <laughs> it was funny because I got, <laughs> I, I was writing for free and. And early on, like, there's something to be said for like when you've been doing it for 10 years, like here, it's great exposure. I'm like, no, no, I, 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 that's not going to cut it anymore. But when you've been doing something for four months, exposure on a national platform is pretty ridiculously awesome. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I, I, I was doing it for free and then I realized I was doing one post a week and then I realized that I said to my editor who was very busy, I'm like, you know, if you give me the login, I'll take care of posting everything. And then I just started posting more and more and more and more. And then one day got an email. He had been, I think, laid off. And then I got an email that I was being laid off. I'm like, okay, but you know that I'm not paid. Like, I was like, okay, I'm out. It's, <laughs> it's served its purpose and all good things come to an end. But um, yeah. That's amazing. But yeah, I mean, I think it's amazing you just even reached out to the national. Yeah, I think there's a bit of like, presumption now that everyone should be paid right away and paid a lot for their effort. But yeah, I think it takes time to establish yourself as both to establish yourself as the expert or to have that comfort in the field in which you're working, but also to gain the experience that is value more valuable that earns you the compensation yeah. for the efforts. Um, you know, you can get a training program, you can get trained, you can get certified, you can do all this stuff pretty quickly, but it takes time to fully integrate it into the work you're doing or into your life and and find that balance that, yeah, it takes time to build that audience and that credibility. No, I feel the same way. And I think there's definitely like, of course, like, yeah, get paid what you're worth. Ask for what you're worth. Like your time, you know, like time is money and all of that. But I, the same way, Pretty much everything I've done, it's me doing it for free or me coming up with an idea and being like, okay, yeah, but I'm going to say yes to this and then turn it into this. Or like if I'm trying out something new, even though it's like, but hello, I've done all of this. So obviously, like I am worth this. But still, if I'm trying out something new, then I will like do it for like maybe one or two people for free or for like a lower rate, because then it's also like, sorting it all out, figuring it out, making sure that I feel confident in this new way that I'm doing something, saying something, portraying thing. It also like, it's like, I might not be getting money, but I'm getting a new experience and confidence and 
things of like, oh, no, I want to do it that way. Or, oh, like, so we're getting paid in different ways. So what, but of course, and I'm definitely like, of course, if you're just starting something like, yeah, keep putting yourself out there, ask to do things for free. How I've gotten most things in my life is because I showed up and was willing to do things for free. And then people were like, oh, we need you to stick around. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Or other and people I- took notice and then were like, oh, and then it went there. I still, I mean, not since my son was born because there were sort of bar- boundaries I put yeah. up, but I would still do free talks at health shows and different types of educational events and because I, I know the value in that. I know the value for me. It's nice to get out from behind the screen and connect with with real people in real life. And I know the value that it offers to people who might otherwise not have access to what might be available. But since having my son, evenings and weekends are off limits for work. So I have not agreed to, to many of those in the last couple of years. Hey there, brief interruption, because I have got to tell you about this super exciting opportunity I have for you guys. If you follow me on Instagram or have heard in previous episodes, you know that I am obsessed with my infrared sauna blanket. Yeah, it's not like a infrared wood booth that you go and sit in. Honestly, I find those uncomfortable. It's like a sleeping bag, but it's infrared sauna. Turn it up. You choose choose how hot to go up. I like a number seven personally. You put on a light t-shirt, light pants, socks, get in there. I lay it on the floor, turn on a good show, enjoy the show and detox. It releases so many in good endorphins. It's good for anti-aging. It boosts collagen. It improves sleep. It really helps me with my fibromyalgia inflammation and pain when I've been driving a lot, a workout. Honestly, even when just like mental stuff, when I'm stressed out, it does so much for me. And here's the thing. They've one, given me a code to give you for $100 off. And they've given me the opportunity to give one of these infrared sauna blankets away. It's a $500 value. So you can use my code JOY100 and get the $100 off. You can even use an uh, interest-free installment plan. That's what I did. Makes that purchase much easier to digest. But you can also win one. Super easy ways to enter. One, leave a review on the podcast. Tell me what you think. Two, share an episode of the podcast that you love. This one, but any episode. Share it on social media. Make sure to tag me. For every episode that you share, you get an extra entry. This giveaway is going to go all week long. I will be picking the winner on October 21st. And make sure to screenshot your shout outs and your reviews so that I can totally make sure I have you accounted for and email them to me at podcast at So all you have to do, leave a review for this podcast. If you've already done it, no problem. Screenshot it, send it to me. Share it in IG stories, on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you enjoy being. Share the podcast. Like I said, any episode, make sure to tag me. Hey, I love this episode because blah, blah, blah. I love this person. I love this saying, whatever it is. So share however you please. Make sure to tag at your joyologist at Claim It Podcast. Screenshot your shares, especially if you're private, because I might not see them. 
email the screen shares podcast at yourjoelgist.com. You have until October 21st to enter. The more you share, the more opportunities you get to enter. And again, you can go check out the link. It's at higherdose.com. Check out these bed. Check out the life-changing effects. I'm not the only one. Honestly, Lady Gaga and Selena Gomez swear by using these things and more people. So listen, check my show notes. I got a link. Use code JOY100 for $100 off. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, okay, so let's get back to, oh, so what I wanted to ask about the school. So you did the internship and then once you came back from the internship, were you actually like starting to work with people as nutritionists or you just went straight into like, I'm gonna do these cooking classes. Were you offering nutrition yeah, like I was counseling doing at the all same of, time. I okay. was doing all of it. So I was doing nutrition one-on-one c- coaching. I was doing It's like a lot of people graduate with these certifications and have the same laundry list of services, which is like yeah. kitchen cupboard cleanouts and grocery store tours and no one is making a living off touring people through a grocery store. Um like that's just I don't they're, they're random kind of things. And so I was just doing all of it to see what stuck and what I liked. And I was making the most money from doing the one-on-one consulting, but it was the part that I liked the least. And I'd gone to some like business coaching seminar and they'd said to figure out what parts of your business make the most money and put more energy into them. And I said, okay, well, Mm. I don't like doing this. It doesn't fuel me. I feel drained after. And like, it's that intuitive empathy that I just, it just wasn't going to be sustainable and healthy for me to keep doing that. So I realized that if I stopped offering it, it would no longer be the most profitable part of my business. And so I focused my energy on the, on the parts that I really wanted to grow, which were, were the group classes. And had you done a group class yet? Oh, group because you're teaching the cooking. So you love that yeah. you knew that you like groups because you're doing the cooking, but you weren't. Had you at that point done nutritionalist nutrition? I was work doing as a all group? of it. I was doing all of it and then just stopped doing the nutrition and just doing the cooking classes and workshops. That's a, like, I love that you went to the business class, got that nugget in, and then like basically did not take that advice. Well, I took it, but I guess it was just, you know, in, in, in line with my personality. I was like, okay, but you yeah, I mean, this, but. Yeah, it's like, of course. And that's where most people it's like, oh, right. Like, it's like, yeah, go with the part of your business that's making the most money. But that also you feel joy from. (laughs) Okay, I got to do this because that's making me the most money. But that's where I feel like the most drained or like doesn't feel like it excites me that it's like, yeah, but like that sort of thing. That's what I like always talking about. Like, what you can't like necessarily take advice from like everybody. And like, that seems like it makes the most sense. But if you're like dying inside. Yeah, I mean, it makes it's most not going to be what's all so sustainable. you care about is your spreadsheets. <laughs> but no, but I didn't get into doing this to do work that I had to do. I got into it to do work yeah. that I get to do. That's like a Trisha-ism. <laughs> or that you should do, that but I that you want do. to do. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that's still like this long after, that's still something that I think about. There's some things that I do have to do, but mostly it's it's I want to spend more time doing the work that I'm excited and feel privileged that I that I have that opportunity to to create. And then what came next from that? Your first book or creating your own school or program? Yeah, it's like a 
School, really, right? It's a school. Yeah, it started with me taking my in-person classes and building them out to a program while simultaneously testing out what worked online as a video-based course. So as I was, you know, writing for this national paper and suddenly had this national audience and then became, you know, like into the United States um, and then around the world. But it was, it was, can I translate what I'm doing and how I'm doing it here in person and do it online? Because there was no one doing it. There weren't the kind of courses and videos available online that I had wanted to create. And so I tested it out and I did a couple courses and they sold really, really well. And I learned all the the ins and outs of how to create digital products and launch digital products and create that demand and how to price things and how to deliver once people buy it, how to deliver on that exceptional experience for the for the students and, and clients and customers. And so I tested all of that out. And then what happened within the span of 2013, that calendar year, was I ran my biggest retreat yet. I was running des- destination retreat. So we had a 25-person retreat in Costa Rica. And then a few months later, my first book on diet came out. Wow. And, and then in the fall of that year was when we ran the first culinary nutrition expert program online where we had 100 students um, doing that together. The school came about six months later. So I had created this program. It was working online. I got the enrollment. So when here in the in person, I could only fit 12 people. Suddenly I was selling it to a hundred people at the same price with significantly less. I mean, it was expensive to create, but significantly less class to class overhead and way less time consuming, obviously, because it was on video and not in person. And so yeah. In the spring of 2014 was when we launched the Academy of Culinary Nutrition as the school to house the certification program. And so, so like in building all of that, like were you like take I mean, back then, like, yeah, that wasn't as now it's everything online program here do this. There's like all these systems to make it like way more easier. Like, how did you did you were like starting to take different like business classes or were you just like yeah using google like how did you do to like because you're like i learned how to create the online content to deliver it to do this like did you start looking for other like programs or did you just figure it out i figured it out i did a lot of research then i found a developer and basically gave my developer a wish list of what i wanted this to do and we used an existing platform that got customized out the hoo-ha uh, to the point where I'm like, I feel like this is like literally being held together by a hope and a prayer, which was very, very scary when the, the core of my business now was held together by a platform that like on any given day would self-destruct. Oh, no. And so that was how we started doing it. And it was it was really challenging to figure out. But yes, now there's tons of options available. Um, in 2016, we I created with my developer a custom learning management software, like uh, our own platform uh, to deliver my courses on because there was still nothing that was checking off all the boxes. And I really, um, the details of it and the specific experience I wanted students to have where they felt both that it was extremely easy to use, uh, that there were these personal touches to it, that there was this engagement ongoing while they're in the portal using it, that they can connect with their program coaches and submit assignments and all this stuff that I wanted that was very, very specific to the structure of the program that I'd created. So we have our own learning management platform now that is mine all mine. Thank goodness. That's amazing. 
Yeah. And so and the program is bringing together like new nutritional background and also then the like love of and wanting to people to like have information, but also actually use it with their own cooking. Is that correct? Yes. So it's the merger of what we hear about and learn about and within books and theory and apply it in the kitchen. So we're taking evidence-based nutrition research, uh, traditional food approaches and food preparation techniques and taking into account that it's 2019. And how do we actually combine all of that to make what we're creating in the kitchen healthful and delicious and beautiful and easy and shareable? Yeah. Yeah. Shareable (laughs) in an inclusive way. So we teach, I teach my students um, everything I know, but then on top of that, share with them how to effectively teach and share this information in their own communities, whether it's in their own household with their family or to create businesses sharing this information. Awesome. And like now, or do you know, can you remember like back and building all of that and like making this happen or if more now, like doubts and fears that come up, like, especially like now, I'm wondering if like you have more stuff come up now that it's like established and that the wellness world like keeps growing and is bigger or like, cause that sounds like when you first started like an offering the cooking classes, you're like, what do you mean? Like, this is going to be awesome. Everybody's going to come. Like, were you like that the entire time you were like building the platform and everything? No, as I, no. as I, <laughs> I think the fear definitely grows more. And I think it's because there is like, you're also investing more money because you're then building this thing. I'm right, investing too. more money, investing more time and now have a certain caliber. Like my first courses were fine, but they're no longer available. Like they're not they wouldn't be the first thing I'd ever want anyone to try of mine because I the, the quality now. Just wasn't there. So there is that fear and there's still a fear. There's always been a fear since that first class didn't fill. Um, like, what if this doesn't work? And we've had stuff. uh, Well, the good thing about things not working, especially online, even in person, is that, well, if it doesn't work out, it means like no one bought it or no one showed up, in which case no one knows it didn't work. Yeah. Because no one was there. But um, I think now, in all honesty, the biggest concern is with what's happening in the health field and how much inaccurate information is out there and how complicated it's all been made out to seem when. It's not. And I guess my concern is that people just start shutting it off because there's so much and like, well, seems like I can't ever make the right decision. So why bother trying? And so now what I aim to do with the new courses I'm creating and the work I'm doing is to sort of reel that back in and be like, you know what? It's actually incredibly simple. And here's five things you can do now to prove that and to make that happen. Um, So it'll be interesting to see where and what happens with online courses in the next few years, given that there is so much out there and they are so much easier to do. But I think like with all things, the the good stuff bubbles to the top and and other things fall away. Yeah. And then it seems like obviously I've seen you guys, you're like, what did you do? The like healthy home course or something too, where it's like it's now not just about like food that you're sharing, then that that was like a start into like looking at more of your life and like what's in your house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really recognizing that, you know, the picture of what we might call health is what's on your actual plate is a very small component of what makes for a healthy and happy life. Yeah. And like the emotional aspect so much even like at the very 
and the social and the like all of yeah back to when you were suffering the most it was like you were going to a job that you didn't like that was high stress like yeah and then even like when you're sort of fear of integrating back into Canada or Toronto from leaving this like Santa Monica where you had built this like (laughs) ideal bubble for yourself. But you saw back then of like, oh, all of these things are probably affecting me. And was that because you think you gave yourself that time in Santa Monica? Do you think when you came back to Toronto, you were able to look at all of your life differently and not just what you were eating? 100%. I think it was I realized that what I had experienced was was that there was a different frequency to operate on in life. And that was something I didn't want to lose. And to this day, don't want to lose and protect parts of myself and parts of my life like very fiercely to ensure that I can maintain what for me feels like the life of my dreams and to maintain a certain quality of life that has been very, very intentional in design. What does that look like to you to fiercely protect um, like where do you have like boundaries or limits or like, I definitely don't do this, even though it would be easier for like, you know, or something. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it was really highlighted when my son came because I did not thrive in the postpartum period. Like I've heard rumors of of moms who like love it. Uh, That wasn't (laughs) me. And so it was like, I can't do more than one activity in a weekend, like not more than one activity in a day. It's like, I need those nap times for me to just Mm. rest and be on my own. I'm not doing the nap on the go so that I can squeeze more into my day. Same. I've I've been like that too. And it was like I had other felt like I was being judged a bit from like like friends that had or or different people. They're like, what do you mean? Like our kid naps everywhere. And like, we just do this and we want to like, we don't let our kid run our lives. And they were sort of making me feel. And I was like, well, I don't let my kid run my life, but this is what I need. (laughs) Like, that exactly. nap at home isn't necessarily for them. Like my kids haven't really ever been car seat nappers or stroller nappers and stuff like that. But it was like it wasn't even so much of like my kid needs a nap at this is perfect time in the perfect dark. Whatever. It's also like their mother needs yeah. that time where their kid is locked in the room. <laughs> yeah, where I'm guaranteed an hour quietly or two sleeping hours. and like yeah, and then I'm like oh, hundred <laughs> percent. So that was one thing. There's like people you know, friends going out and it's like, we made a reservation for 9 p.m. I'm like, I'm not going out for dinner at 9 p.m. I'm going to feel awful. I'm not going to sleep. And no matter what time I go to bed, my son's going to wake me up. So I don't I don't want to feel lousy tomorrow. Um, so there's been like those kinds of boundaries I have. And then a lot with work obligations where normally I would agree to things or volunteer for things uh, because it was often stuff I genuinely wanted to do or to help support someone else. But now I just can't like to do a health food store lecture that, you know, will attract 50 people, but it's a 45 minute drive on a Saturday. I'm not going to do it. And you just don't have the space for it anymore. I just don't. And and so those are some of the boundaries that I've set up. And I think also just when your life becomes more full, you you pay more attention to the relationships that are in them. So you know, I've had old friends that may want to connect and go out. But the reality is that if I'm going to come home from that engagement, like just feeling drained and exhausted, I'm not going to make it a priority to make that happen. And so looking at who I really genuinely and being an introvert, 
um, I know it's a good sign or someone cancels a plan. I'm actually, and I'm actually disappointed. I'm like, oh, I really actually wanted to do that. That right. is a true gauge because I don't know. I've never done a leg scale. I don't think I'm an introvert. I'm probably an extrovert, but at the same time, I love my space, my time, lay alone time. I love being with people, but I also like love being spacious. But like, same thing. Like, I'm most of the time like, well, that's cool. No big deal. But if it's so, like, yeah, if it's someone I'm like, oh man, then it's like, you know that that's one of my real people. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, there's very, very few times where a plan gets canceled. I'm like, oh. So that kind of stuff, I think, was hot, was it was always there. But I think having the child highlighted my essential need to protect myself and my time and my quiet. And I may have done it too much when we we're like with Finn, we're out with like a lot of other kids or we're at like a program and he'll come up to me. like He'll go too noisy. Go home. I'm like, OK, let's go. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> funny uh do you like did so that's now with kids do you remember though even like coming back and through that healing process like of being like not like realizing like oh wait i can't go back into these old routines of like maybe even noticing like these certain people are like okay eat this way now and so obviously you had to say no i'm guessing to certain like dinner requests and plans and friends back then as well yeah and what was interesting is that i'm i did meet Josh, who became my husband in nutrition school, but we did not date in nutrition school. I was dating someone else oh. who I who I had been involved with, I say in like my previous life, but before I'd gone into health, who uh, lived a very different lifestyle, like with fast food and smoking and all these things that were not congruent with how I was living. And it was almost one of those, and like that was almost felt like a final check. Like I was doing my thing, he was doing his, and I realized that you know what, I can't. Like, this isn't something I can compromise on. Like, this isn't, this is no longer going to work. It didn't work before. I just didn't know how. And it was a real strong reflection of all the things that were no longer going to be working for me when, once I'd come back. And so that obviously dissolved or combusted, depending on how you look at it. But um, it became a gradual, I think part of it too is just growing up and getting to know yourself more and, and maturing and being more confident in who you are. And expressing what your needs need to be for self-preservation. So what happened as I came back and I was going through nutrition school and I would sort of like dabble in old ways of being and old habits and old patterns and then would come out of being like, yep, that still is not working. Yeah. So you got to like, you know, I dip my toes in once in a while and eventually it just built up to where I was like, you know what, that's not even a, the remotely appealing to me. And, and it, fallen away yeah I'm like I just feel like that like happens is like once we start to like oh we like learn about okay this is I feel great this but then it's sort of like but then you go back into an immersion of oh okay friends we do this or whether it's you get into a routine like we always go to this restaurant or we go out for drinks or we like my friends like to do this so like that's what I still have to do and that really like well you could like what if you like ask your friend to like go get a walk what if you went grocery shopping with your friends like yeah that we can like still it doesn't mean you sometimes sometimes it is like okay that person we're not in the same place anymore but it's sometimes like trying to just like let's see if we can change how we interact or even like friends that gossip and that part of me wanted to be like, I can't be with you. You're unhealthy. And that's one thing. But also then, oh, well, maybe I have a conversation where, hey, what if we don't gossip? Anymore? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like exactly. you don't, and you don't know which one. Maybe you do need to stop being around that person so much because they do just have that certain behavior. And yeah, you always feel drained about them. But they're like, also, I've had to been like, oh, I have to also see that they might have room for change too, and that yeah. they we are both both coming from a commonplace when we get together. We talk about everyone we know, and it doesn't necessarily mean in a negative way. You're just like, hey, have you heard about so-and-so? Have you heard blah, 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 blah? Like, you're catching up with, like, your old friends and everybody else, and then it doesn't feel good. Like, (laughs) so seeing, like, where can I maybe shift how we relate to each other also? Yeah, I, you know, I tried that. (laughs) Some people it doesn't. That's what I'm saying. Some people it doesn't work with. That's what I've been like. Okay, some people I need to give this, and then sometimes like, yeah, they're not going to, I don't think they're going to shift their behaviors and changes and that's okay but I don't need to give them as much of my time and attention exactly I feel the same way and I've tried and I had tried and I had but at the end of the day like an old friend if you catch up and all you can do and all you have to talk about are the people you know in common then it's just not it's not moving forward and I'm grateful that and I think this is one of the hardest things when people shift anything in their lifestyle is often there's a feeling or a period. It doesn't last, but there's a period where you do feel socially isolated Mm -hmm. because everyone you knew and everything you've known may no longer be serving you, but it's still more comforting than trying to go out on your own. Yep. I see this all the time with like people, it's like they know that they're in friendships and relationships that don't serve them, that they don't feel good, that they don't feel seen or loved, whatever. They're constantly feeling hurt by these people or whatever, but then they keep interacting with them because they don't want to feel like, well, what am I going to do on the week over the weekend? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, well, but you need to like make space to then open up and meet other people or just like get more uncomfortable with being alone and being by yourself and learn more about yourself. So then you can maybe attract the people. But yeah, it's like so often people bad job, whatever. Well, I'll just stay in this discomfort because I don't want to go in this, the, this discomfort over there that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we I mean, we have found Josh and I together. We each sort of came into our relationship and our marriage with, you know, our own sort of sets of friends and people we'd grown up with. And there's, you know, there's value and there's there's a lot of love in those relationships, but they do change and evolve. And what we have found is that in sort of being true to who we are and our values as a couple and together, we have met and made or strengthened relationships with people where now, you know, we're having 16 people to dinner, which as an introvert is like, I'm trying not to have anxiety about it. But um, the conversations we have with this group of friends is so powerful and uplifting and inspiring and open that we are all striving to develop ourselves personally and develop professionally and be the best parents we can be for those of us who have kids. And and we come away from those experiences, like Josh and I together will have conversations about things that had come up being like, well, what do you think about this? Is this something we should look more into? And and that's ultimately what I strive for now in, in friendships and in life is that how does this further help me to evolve and, and fulfill on my potential? How does this contribute to what I'm aiming to create? How can I be of service to others? And it's a, it's again, it's that different frequency that uh, not everyone is wants to be part of, is ready to be part of, or you know, thinks we're completely nutso, which is okay too. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I don't think you're nutso. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing, and like I can even so, still sometimes feel like isolated because I'm like. Oh, I would rather 
spend a time alone, I guess, with either me alone or my own family than like with friendships that are easy, but like topical. I saw a, fr- a friend of mine who's um a, a development coach had posted a question like what when you go on Instagram, what do other people's photos or stories make you think? Like, do you feel like you're missing out or do you feel grateful to to get to join in? And my intuitive response to her was that I feel exhausted by the obligation people feel to story every element of their lives. Oh. And I think about that when, like, because a lot of people get that fear of missing out FOMO when they're on social media. And I look at it, I'm just like, I am so glad that I don't feel that, whether it's self-induced pressure or work-induced pressure, or, you know, if you've built a business out of being online, um, being on social media, like there's a pressure to constantly be out there and creating and sharing and doing. And I'm grateful that I don't have that. So that when, yeah. you know, when we have these dinners, like no one's got their phones out. I mean, sometimes I know. We, we post the food because we're all nutritionists and then it's like done. But to just be able to separate and be present with yourself and with with the people you're with, it makes it a lot easier to be alone when you don't feel like you're constantly missing out on what else is out there. That makes sense. And I, like, yeah, like, even, like, some of my personal friends, like, they think I, like, never leave my house because I, <laughs> on social media, it's always me alone. If I sometimes, like, I'm share, sometimes I'll share more on stories than not. But it's usually just like me alone or sometimes maybe my kids. So it looks like I don't go anywhere. Sometimes I might share, but usually the phone's away. When I'm seeing friends I love, I'm like so excited to see the friends that I never remember to take a picture or whatever. So it looks like I'm alone. There was a stretch of time. percent of the time. And like a friend of mine has said that to me, like, don't you ever do anything? And I was like, what do you mean? There was a stretch of time where I think for like two weeks straight, every story I posted was me walking to work and it's like how long is this walk <laughs> i thought that was interesting that po- the, the question that you said that um someone posted though because i actually i was like oh what do i feel and i actually feel grateful to be alone because i even this summer some people that i follow were on like these amazing european vacations and they're like you know already apologizing for sharing so much and i'm like before I was like, please don't apologize. Like, I fucking love seeing your family on this. Like, for me, it was inspiring. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I want to be able to take my kids to Italy one day. Like, it was like me seeing people out enjoying their lives was like, oh, yeah, that's so awesome. I'd love to do that. And not a fear of missing out. But like, oh, yeah, that's it looks so cool. So that means that's going to be something I'm like putting out in my leg dream of like, hey, you guys, let's do that sometime. That's awesome. I, and with yeah, that, it's a, it's important to tune into what you're feeling, though, when you're seeing that stuff. Be yeah. honest about it. And then you're like feeling like, oh, I'm so glad that I don't like have to like feel like I'm storing everything. I made a shift in the year and I, you know, my Instagram name used to be called was being Trisha. And then this year I was like, oh, I'm switching that back to I'm your dryer. Just my products became your dryer. Just shop. And um, that was big for me, like taking ownership, first of all, of my own words and my app and my products, because <laughs> I was like, I'm being Trisha. I created all of stuff. I would write quotes back then, but it always said your dwells on the bottom. But then my account was being Trisha. And that's what happened. People would keep reposting your dwells and tag my shop account. And I'd be like, but you saw it on being Trisha. But it yeah. says your dryologist on it. 
So that was me being able to like, oh, you are the one writing these things and creating these things. But also switching to your joyologist made me get clearer on what is the point? What is the point of my account? What am I yeah. here to share? Because before that, when I was being Trisha, I was like, oh, let me share this like healthy. Let me share this meal. Let me share this. Let me blah, 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 blah. And it was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to share. Like, ah, this is exciting to me. And it was also if I did want to share, but there were a lot more shoulds coming up. And right. so like with your joyologist, I'm now like, this is what my account is. This is what the point. If it's not in the point, and sometimes I will be like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm obsessed with these oleo pop drinks now. And I don't think you have them in Canada. And I'm like, but like I've posted about them several times. But That's like, it's funny because like, I, I actually saw someone else post about those today. And I'm like, what is this? What's this new thing? I know. I was they like, I better send it to you. And then you're going to be like, this is terrible. No, I'm just kidding. No, I think it's actually amazing. But. These companies don't want to put French on the packaging. So things don't make it up to Canada. But anyway, like that it's giving me it's given me boundaries. on like, what do I what? Why do I want to come here? Like, why do I want people to come to my account? Right. So I stopped shopping. The only thing I'm buying is products from your shop. Wink, wink. No, I uh, I stopped shopping in March. Like, I am not buying anything for myself, like clothing-wise. Like, I'm still buying food and I still have to dress my son. My husband can take care of himself. But it was interesting because, I, you know, you get, you look at things online and then you look at, you know, should you buy it? And you start seeing all these different accounts and then you start getting served all these ads about all these clothes and all this stuff. And so I decided not to shop. I'm like, I'm not naked. I've, I'm fully clothed. It's all fine. And that too has changed how I look at accounts that I follow. Cause often you'd be like, Oh, what kind of shoes is she wearing? Or what are those? Or what this? And it's totally changed. And it also changed what's being served to me. Like it, like right. what, what the decisions you make in your own life will influence your internet experience, which is, has been interesting to see. And that decision alone eliminated thousands of other decisions and like cleared space. And it was like one of those little, seemingly little things that continues to have a profound impact. And now it's like the fall. So all the summer stuff is on sale. And I like for my entire life, I remember like fall was back to school shopping. And here in Canada, like because we have different climates, you need different wardrobes for different seasons. And now I'm like, nope. I'm just going to wear the same stuff I've worn the last five years and not think about it. And that has been like a massive revelation for me. Like just taking that off the plate. It's about like, yeah, it's like you thought it was OK. I'm not going to like maybe spend my money here or this. But now it's like, oh, my brain is all my brain and my life has so much more space from taking this one thing out of the equation. Yeah, And it's not even just like time. It's not just like the money, but it's also right. the time you spend like. In evenings, like I'd be like scrolling on my phone to look at like online shopping sites or different online stores because I don't go to malls, as you might not yeah. be surprised because of my introversion and fear of humans. Just kidding. I have no fear <laughs> of humans, but uh, malls are not for me. Um, and then the ethics around it. And it just became this thing. I'm like, nope, I'm just going to stop and see where how long this goes, how long it feels like the right thing. I'm not like if my shoes, my running shoes break down and I like I'm not going to walk barefoot because I refuse to buy new ones. But right. <laughs> um, you know, within reason. But it's just interesting that when you start paying attention to like your personal reactions and how habits can develop, just the littlest shifts can yeah. transform an experience that you didn't even know you were having. Yeah, totally. I'm like, yeah, like me being like, oh, this is here. This is what my account's for. And it gives me like these like things. And it's like I realize I'm probably like have freed up so much thing of like 
do I post this? What do I post? Do I need to share about this? It's like that just like automatic, like, yeah, like that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I keep okay. it all. I keep it all to work. Work is my life. And 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 there's like a huge gray area. But um, I always say like as soon as my school like exceeds me in engagement and followership, I'm shutting down all my stuff. But I don't think that'll actually happen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, mine is like, oh, I want people to come here because I'm teaching them or sharing like, how do I reframe my thoughts? Even in stories, like I'm talking about this happened today. And like, where did that come from? I'm feeling this. How do I work through it? And that's even like, oh, I took my kids to like Disneyland this week. I posted a picture we're there and then also was like, so there was stress involved with that. How I'm dealing with being at Disneyland with two hours. So it's like usually like even when I'm sharing something that's like from personal experience, it's to be like. And this is how I'm dealing with it. So like, here's thought processes. Here's my feelings. How I, here's how I deal with things when they come up. (laughs) Yeah. I find it very inspiring when you you. share. I enjoy it. (laughs) Okay. What is a go-to that you use to raise your joy levels when like maybe uh, you're feeling like you want to be alone and you have a dinner party or whatever, you're going to do a talk or just you're feeling, feeling off, quiet, low, and you want to be, boost your spirits a bit. If at all possible, if I can take a walk in nature, that fixes 99.9% of whatever's going on. It won't necessarily change or resolve the challenge, but it changes me. And so that to me is like a go-to guarantee. And I used to always put music on. And now I don't know if it's because I don't get a lot of opportunity to to walk by myself. Either we live by a beautiful park and we're also 10 minute walk to Lake Ontario where we actually do a beach. People just don't know about it. Wow. Um, So we'll walk along the beach. And if I can like that just makes everything else doable and manageable. And in most cases helps me to reframe my feelings around something that that has been challenging me. Yeah, that's a big one for me, too getting outside and like especially taking a walk outside interesting how quickly it can shift things or just so yeah like help us see a different perspective and all of that um okay i ask everybody this question i had this thought earlier this year and it's like duh but now i'm always thinking about it that it was what is easiest for me is not always what is best for me and now I'm always seeing of ways this to apply this to my life. So I'm asking you, can you think of a way to apply that to your life right now of what is easiest for me is to do this? What is best for me is to. I wish you'd given me these in advance. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do that on purpose. I don't know. I don't want people to have to think too hard about things, even no. though you do in the moment have to think. But I don't want like some. And this was the answer I perfectly came up with. I just started sweating. Um, <laughs> what's easiest for me is not best for me. I think that what's easiest for me is to keep working a lot as much as I can, as often as possible and fill my time with feeling productive. And what's best for me is to stop. Not 100%, but to recognize the absolute necessity to carve time out um, to not be productive, to sit and do nothing or sit and not do nothing, but to sit and enjoy the quiet moments in between. Um, Because I think it's those, like it it is, it's not, I think, I know that those quiet moments in between is when you get to enjoy the efforts during all the other times. Yeah. That's one of the gifts of my chronic pain 
struggling with fibromyalgia is that because of that, that I've always been someone that's like, no, I need to rest. They're like, oh, I have this big day. So like now I like need to like whatever that I've like haven't really had as much of a suffer and or struggle with the like allowing myself to rest, feeling lazy for it. I'm like, no, I like need to rest. I don't <laughs> know if I like, cannot continue on. I don't know if you feel this way, but because um, I know you still have challenges. Um, you know, every so often you have flare-ups. Yeah. Or well, and that's what every but... day I think my body is at a different level than most. But yeah, then sometimes it really flares up. Are you, do you find, have you, have you been able to find, now we're turning the tables. Have you been able to find, like, do you feel like it's been a gift in, in what it's brought you? Yeah. And I say that a lot. Um, and I'm sure that can be like, but like, no. And especially like the more and more I share things, the more and more I have conversations with people like this, then I realize that a lot of the way I've been able to do all of this for so long and tune into my mindset or what I'm feeling is that is because of the pain that has always been in my body. That because I sunk into instead of, oh my God, I have this pain. So this is what I do. Like that I almost committed suicide at 15. I chose to live. And that that has been something with me every day, even if I don't remember it. It's sort of like, I have this pain, but I'm going to choose live. So what can I do about it? Or like, I'm feeling more pain today. Why is that? Is there something bothering me? I feel heavy right now. What is that? Like, because I live with this pain in chronic pain condition and fatigue condition, I'm so tuned into what's happening in my body and my mind that I can then quickly address it. Like, it's I mean, of course, I guess I would love to live pain free. But at the same time, like I get that it's been a gift because of how I'm able to be way more tuned in and that I realize like, oh, that's a major gift because of that. And also because I chose to then tune into it and chose to live it that way, because I'm there's a lot of people out there with pain every day that aren't choosing to do it this way. But I was just like, no, I don't want to be laying on my couch for the rest of my life, taking all these pills and feeling shitty and whatever I Mm -hmm. choose to live. I think about that with like now having a child, as I'm sure you can relate, is that like I don't want him to ever be in discomfort or suffer any way possible. But I also know that in my own life, it's all of that stuff that has been the (laughs) most, I don't know what the word would be, but has been the most profound in me evolving to be the human I am. And I'm very proud and grateful for who I am. Um, But it's something that I think about. It's like I couldn't imagine going through with him, what my mom went through with me when I was sick for all those years. And, but oh, it, I know. Anyway, hopefully deal with it when it comes. If it comes. <laughs> I just, you I have about, more knowledge and information to be absolutely. able to give to him. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm trying not to be the mom at the park who's like, oh, he's going up the stairs. I better stand behind him and I better like catch him at the bottom of the slide and do all these things just to like, you know, it, it's a, it's yeah. an ongoing challenge. I'm definitely not that person. I'm like, oh, oh, I maybe I guess that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm a great like fair, but yeah, no, I'm I'm much more mellow. And I remember even early on, my cousin had like four kids and she would see him with my first and she was like, you don't act like a first time mom. And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) My goal was to raise Finley like he was the third child. It's like the one that everyone kind of forgets about can raise himself. But. I'm I'm not doing 
very well. I definitely wasn't <laughs> at the start of that, but she also was like a very, like crawled at four months, was like so insanely active early on that I think it forced me to start the letting go process early right. on. <laughs> right. Okay. Two more things. I have everybody pick a keychain from my line of which phrase they most feel they need to be reminded of right now. So these are the phrases. I would have to go with fuck the shoulds, do the wants. Ooh. And why is that one resonating with you the most right now? I think it's because I'm at a point in my career and in my life and in my family life that I'm grateful that I get to do what I want and don't have time for the shoulds. I just don't care. I don't have the time or the energy. I, I don't. I just. Nope. You're done. (laughs) Awesome. Well, you know I'm behind that choice. (laughs) And you you got me to drop an F-bomb. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm drinking out of that mug right now, too. (laughs) Um, Okay, the final question is, the name of the podcast is Claim It, meaning that it's up to us to claim our worth, our value, our joy, our visions, everything in life. That even if it's like everyone, even if it feels like, oh, here's everything, that a lot of times we don't feel it unless we're claiming it for ourselves. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? I'm claiming my potential. Oh, yeah. I'm claiming what I am potential uh, with what I have the potential to do and create and be and recognize that what I believe is my potential is only a fraction of what's actually possible because we have no concept of what we're capable of. Yeah. And I love that for you claiming it now because it's like on the outside, it looks like, but you have this established this and that. So it seems like you're like, you're oh, gosh, there. no, right. We're just we're just starting. No, it's, saying- it's all been fluke so far. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love you claiming your potential. And I totally see that for you. For all of us, we have so much potential. We're limiting ourselves so much. It doesn't think- matter how much you've accomplished or what you've done, that you can change it in a different direction. Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter anything. No, and we all have a different potential. And I think about what you could look at the world, you could look at the community, you could look at your household. Like, what does that look like when everyone is fulfilling on their potential? Like, and how do we support that in each other? That's what's going to save the world. I do love that. Because, yeah, when we're doing stuff that fulfills us and that we're like going into our potential, then, yeah, we're just like, I feel like you can like see these like beams of light, you know, like coming from people like, oh, you're like every, you're just like a little bit more awake. Like, even if I'm like drained somewhat from doing these things, it's just there's a whole new energy that when I'm doing the things that are making me come alive and that are fulfilling me. Yeah. Do what you love. Fulfill your potential. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. I love you. Thank you. I love you too. I did want to bring up when I started the podcast, I was so excited that you listened to the first episodes with Jason Mraz. And I remember being so touched because you wrote me a message saying that something that we talked about that like really like gave you an aha moment. Would you mind sharing about that or what that was? Or if there's like a different something happening in your life right now? 
Yeah. And I will unashamedly say that, I don't know if that's a word, but I am such a fan of Jason Mraz. I have been for 10 years. Um, because I remember when I was like starting my business and doing all this and I met a friend, she's like, you just have to listen to positive music, like listen to music like Jason Mraz. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. And that was when I, I started listening to him. But one of the things, I mean, you talked about so much stuff that I was just like, yes, I get that. One of the things was when he was talking about how he had this evolution of his goals. Like he had started out in music with very clear intentions of what he wanted to create and success he wanted to have and then got there and was like, okay, this is great, but how do I now make this serve the version that I am today? And so for me, when I was listening to it, I've been sort of debating about different types of projects I can take on or the things I know that I, quote, should be doing for my community and felt this sense of like relief that I'm like, I don't have to do that. Like, I don't have to do anything that I don't want to do anymore. And I can create on my own terms and I can make the decisions that I want to make for what I want to do and what I want to build and how I want to guide or lead um, or not. Uh, And hearing his perspective, and it was his reference to, I, I think it was a musical that he'd sort of signed on for and then realized that it just wasn't a project he wanted to do. And I was in that moment, like weighing this sort of big project that I knew would take a ton of time and wasn't really sure what kind of fulfillment I would get out of it personally and how it would even serve my audience. It was just something that was being asked. And yeah, there was a lot of of things that I listened to in that interview that I was like, oh, I got to write this down. I got to remember this one. Um, and I, you know, I've been hooked on you and him for a long time, but that was just <laughs> like when when worlds come together like that in such a beautiful way. Uh, it was it was really, really impactful and really inspiring for me. And like, so it sort of gave you an aha of you had this opportunity that was like, it wasn't just you created. Like there was an opportunity to do something major that yeah. seems very aligned with what you've done, who you are, what you've put out there. So it's like, of course, this would seems like the next step. And here's a great opportunity to do it. Yeah, it was a great, it is a great opportunity. And it was also that challenge of, you know, 10 years ago when I started, it would be my dream to get to do this. And there's so many people that would be so grateful to have this. So how can I squander it? But ultimately, you have to make your decisions based on you and who you are today, not on what you would have wanted or what you would have given five years ago for that if it's no longer yeah. What you'd want to do. Or even if it is a fit somehow that it's like if you're like heart fully heart and soul aren't in it, then it's not going to be like that thing that I think we sometimes we think about the outcome of our efforts being like, oh, well, if I struggle through this for the next year, well, then I'll get this product. And what I've learned to do, and a part of it was back when I was teaching cooking classes or when I used to do more speaking engagements, that in my mind, I was like, I want to teach these classes or I want to go speak across the continent. But then I'm like, oh, the reality of it was that I was spending my days like by myself washing dishes and cutting up vegetables, which no longer was what I wanted to do. Or I was spending a lot of days flying or in hotel rooms by myself, which was no longer what I wanted to do. So when we have these opportunities, we can't just think about what the end result will be, but is like, what is my day going to look like every single day from now until this thing ends? And is that how I want to spend today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day? And ultimately for me, my decision was like, 
pills now. I can't right. do that. And that's what he was like, yeah, mentioning of sort of because, yeah, that he said the same sort of thing where like it was, yeah, like, oh, like we could die tomorrow or like it was something of like I feel like he would mention some sort of like die tomorrow, but like I don't want to like be like and those are my last days or something. You know, yeah, I feel like he had mentioned it something sort of like that way. <laughs> like <laughs> Something along those lines. All I know is that when I heard him say it, I felt like I was given permission. It was like a divine message that I was given permission to say thank you, but no thank you. And like trust yourself, even if like that means going in some different way than what looks yeah. like would be the next right step for you from on yeah. the, from the outside, what other people would think. Yeah. And I think that episode came out in like May or June or something. May. And the result of that decision gave me the exact beautiful summer that I wanted to have. And had I not made that choice, it would have looked very differently because I would have been having to work weekends and evenings, which are, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like that, that is protection zone. That's, that's family time. Yay. I love that. And like, yeah, I'm like, we stopped recording. And then I wanted to talk about that because I think it's like such a good thing to talk, like to touch on is that so often we can feel like, oh, I got to stay on this path or this opportunity is major opportunity is being presented to me. So I have to say yes, because it is like yeah, in line I with just remember this. But the other thing he'd said was like about fulfilling on his obligations of these contracts and being done with them. And that was sort of what set him free. And I was thinking, I have no contracts or obligations. Why am I going to get back into one when I am free of all that? Yeah. And you are in the space of, OK, I've got the kids. So I've created these new boundaries and stuff like that. And then you're about to cross them all. Probably. Yeah. I was about to be like, and I'm not going to do anything that I've really intentionally put in place. Awesome. Thank you for sharing about that. Thank you. Oh, I loved hearing her story and just her energy is so good. For more on the episode, links, all that good stuff, go to yourdrawers.com slash podcast. You can find Megan at megantelpner.com and on Instagram, Megan Telpner. There's also a link in the notes for her culinary nutrition program. And yeah, she's, she's always offering new amazing courses. And so is her husband, Josh. They are so awesome. Of course, for me, yourdrawologist.com and I'm at yourdrawologist on Instagram. Please share the episode, tag us, write to us, let us know what you loved. I'm open to all feedback. And I would really love if you would right now rate the show, subscribe to, please, if you love it. Rate the show. Tell me what you think, what the podcast does for you, how it makes you feel. That helps me and it helps it get placed higher so that there can get more listeners around the world that are hopefully looking at their own lives and seeing where they can claim it for themselves. And if you do leave a review, screenshot it, email it to me at podcast at And I pick somebody every week to send a box full of goodies from my inspiring product line. I have an affirmation deck, mugs, journals, notepads, the keychains, of course. So I would love to send a gift to you as a thank you. And I'm going to leave you off with thinking about what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you right now. Can you see and name? This is easiest for me.
but this is best for me. And I'd love to hear that too. So feel free to message it to me. Claim your joy in the now.